0: 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, beginning the reading at verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, page 1791, verse 50, and following these words, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. These the very words of god in connection with this scripture i call your attention to the heidelberg catechism lord's day 22 question and answer 58 which is on page 29 in the backs of the hymnals if you wish to follow the reading lord's day 22 question 58 how does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you answer even as i already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy so after this life i will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen no ear has heard no man has ever imagined a blessedness in which to praise god eternally. This is the teaching of our confession. The life everlasting, our subject for this evening. Now, we have to say something here that applies to all people and to me. And I'd like to say it this way. We may say Only what God says in the Bible, in particular, about things we have no experience with, such as the life everlasting. Some of you have loved ones, family members there, and you may wonder what, according to the catechism, joys they are enjoying, but you haven't been there, and I haven't been there. So I'm going to begin by quoting from Martin Luther at this diet or church meeting of Worms, W-O-R-M-S. Here's what he said when he was on trial for being a heretic. Unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason, by which he meant logic, induction and deduction, that's valid, or evident reason, I cannot recant, for my conscience is held captive by the word of God, and the act against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. End of quotation. Now, I too must be careful to tell you only what the Bible says. I cannot say more and I'll endeavor not to say less than that which is important. I want to repeat something because it irritated me so much. Some years ago, I watched television, and there was on one of the channels a show with a John Edward who claimed to be able to facilitate communication with the beyond. He had people sitting in stands asking questions about their loved ones. And John Edward would say, I see them in the next life and they're okay and they're happy and so. What irked me about that program is why I never forgot it. There was not one mention of the Bible, not one mention of Jesus. And here was a TV program on the same level as these prognosticators at fair same level as Saul who went to see the witch of Endor we don't want to engage in any of that kind of stuff and I certainly won't this evening now that much said let's go to 1 corinthians 15 verses 50 through 54 which I'm going to deal with way too lightly right now in order to try to have more time to deal with the kind of feelings and questions you have about heaven and what parallel texts might tell us about heaven. When we look to 1 Corinthians 15 here, verses 15, 50 and following, we're told a number of things, and I'll highlight a few of those. Perishable, that which perishes, our earthly bodies, Will become imperishable. The Bible teaches elsewhere we'll have a heavenly body. The word changed, in a way, is a vague word, but it's a very positive word here because there's much in us that needs, needs change. Verse 51 We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. The Hebrews would have thought of a shofar, the ram's horn, a little lower than our trumpets. But the shofar called people to important religious ceremonies like sacrifices, holy days, and special stuff. The best we can do in English is trumpet. And that's probably a pretty good thing for we use trumpets to announce special stuff. The trumpet will sound, the dead raised, and then the key words in verse 53 and 4, perishable must clothe itself. You all understand that metaphor. We put on clothes. Clothes itself with imperishable. So we'll go from perishable to imperishable. And from mortal dying, of course, moribund, deathbound, from mortal to immortal. So, in the life everlasting, there will be nothing perishable, only the imperishable, nothing death-bound or mortal, but only immortality. And then verse 54, when this perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and mortal with immortality, Then the saying is written that is come true, that will become true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So what you and I know for sure is that a day will come when all will be changed. By the way, this is the second of two sermons. I won't speak much about the resurrection of the body, only the life everlasting. The day will come when there will be change, all change, for God's people. And that change will result in imperishability, immortality, and victory. Now, there is an overview, really, of a scripture. What I'd like to do at this point is address the type of questions that people have, and for this reason, people do have questions, some of which can be answered, and then we'll deal with the implications and applications we can rightly make from the scripture we looked at. The reason I deal with questions and answers is that when I used to teach church school, my second favorite lesson of the year was the one late in the season about heaven. Boys and girls have questions, and they'd ask them. Sometimes they wouldn't even want to get out after 45 minutes. And I often had to say, I don't know. But sometimes I could say, I know. Now, I have a long list in front of me of the kind of questions boys and girls answer, but I'm not going to go into it. Time won't allow, and we won't gain anything by being too long. I'm going to go into a couple of those questions that adults ask more often than children. I've been asked all of these. One of them is this. Is everlasting life a long time or timeless? And my answer has to be, I don't know, so I can't tell you. We have one song called America's Favorite Song, Amazing Grace, that has in it the words, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we would first begun. This much I can tell you, if you're going to be there 10,000 years, you'll like to live as much as you do now and you won't be bored forever. We have another song, When the roll is called up yonder, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more. I wrote this down to correct it right. Time shall be no more. Oh, don't even have it written down. Oh, those are the key words. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more. Is the life everlasting going to be timeless instead of 10,000 years? I don't know. I'm going to ask another question. I'm getting the I don't know's done first. How old will we be in heaven? My answer is, I don't know. My dad asked me that question about the time he was celebrating an advanced birthday number 90. He wanted an answer, and I didn't have one. I'm going to read you what I emailed him by way of answer. My words, what no eye has seen, there no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Though I don't know for sure how to answer your question, I can guess, But we must first understand that guesses are only guesses. Here are mine. First, I'm not sure there will be time in heaven as we know time today. Second, we'll have heavenly bodies, which I think will not age and decay as our earthly bodies do. Third, I have to guess we'll be at the prime of life because spiritual bodies are good. The closest comparison I can I can make is that we may be as healthy as the typical earthly 20-year-old, which age we are told is the prime of life in our world. And fifth, the Bible does tell us this much. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. And true. Revelation 21, 3 to 5. Love, Joe. Let's leave the questions there because I'd like to move on to some implications and applications. And in the process, we'll pick up feelings we have that sometimes are asked as questions. So let's go on to some applications here. One is this, we will be in the life everlasting with others, in particular angels, family, friends, and interpersonal relationships. First, angels. We're told in the Bible that angels are helpers, are not Angels, ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. will be there with other Christians, of course, believers. The apostle says in Philippians 1, 21 to 24, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to be with Christ, which is far better, but it's more necessary that I remain with you. So angels there, loved ones there. By the way, marriage in heaven will not be uh, equivalent well, there will not be marriage in heaven. That's another text that we won't go into this evening. The third key uh, thing that we'll have there is um, relationships. If we have family and friends, seems logical, we'll have relationships. And we'll know each other in relationship. Remember Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration? There, Moses and Elijah were given the grace by God to come from heaven to earth to meet with Jesus. Moses knew Elijah. Elijah knew Moses. They both knew Jesus. They knew the disciples and the disciples knew them. And so we will have relationships with those we know in heaven. That much seems certain that we can say. I'm going to say another thing. We will have in the life everlasting a home, labor, leisure and rewards. We'll have a home. Remember Jesus words, John 14:1 to3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. A home. Labor too, I dare say. Remember Jesus' parable of the uh, talents? Those talents were really not so much uh, talents, gifts, spiritual gifts or uh, natural body gifts as opportunities. Those men had opportunities on earth and multiplied them. At least two of the three did. The one who didn't was condemned for it. And at the end of the parable, Jesus is the one who multiplied his talents the most will be given additional in heaven. That leads me to say we can look forward to labor. Also leisure. And also rewards there. 1 Corinthians 3 is the text there. The final judgment... Does not have the purpose of revealing to God's people whether they'll go to heaven. We know that when we die and we fully expect that those who have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and live it will be in heaven as Paul says to depart is to be with Christ. Now we will be given rewards That may bother some people. It doesn't me. I have never been rewarded with what you'd call a high salary. Someone else has. I don't feel inferior. I have been rewarded with a wonderful wife and five wonderful children and 15 wonderful grandchildren. Some people haven't. We had them all over Thursday. In this life, I have some rewards different than other people's. doesn't bother me a whole lot. The thing that bothers me the most is I would like to live longer than I'm expected to live, but we live with differences and abilities and rewards in this life, and we will in the next life. And why should that bother anybody? All I can say is it doesn't me. So we'll have a home, labor, leisure, rewards. And then next, we will enjoy heaven with joy and peace and comfort. Did you pick up that word joy when we read the teaching of the catechism? <laughs> it was there. It says, how does the... Article concerning the life everlasting comfort you in it says even as I now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy So after this life, I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen No ear has heard and no man has ever imagined and We'll have peace Philippians 4 mentions that God's people can have what it calls a peace that surpasses all understanding How a preacher can preach on that which passes understanding I don't know But I have to say that if we can have a peace that passes all understanding in this life We'll have in heaven a peace that passes all understanding that passes all understanding That seems a logical deduction from Scripture And we'll have comfort. You know the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism? What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we rightly sing in the hymn, There's coming a day, There's coming a day when no heartaches shall come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eyes. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. There will be no sorrows there and no more burdens to bear, no more sickness and no more pain, no more parting. Over there, and forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. Now, we've talked about three groups of things people there, home, labor, leisure, rewards, and then the third was feelings joy, peace, and comfort. There's one more thing I'm going to add and then deal with some of the problems that perplex us. That one more thing is that we will have in heaven a vision of God along with worship, praise, and thanks. In the Old Testament, the Jewish mindset was that blessedness or bliss at its very highest was beholding God face to face. Moses, you may remember in Exodus, asked during his life to have a vision of God. And God's answer was, no, in the literal sense, you want to see me, I'm spirit. You can know about me, you can see what I do, and I, as it were, will give you a vision of me from behind. Well, we have that same vision of God in the back, so to speak, a metaphor, in the Bible. Now believe it. Some of you may be living by faith and not by sight. Believe what you know by faith. But to the Jews, true blessedness would come when they would see God face to face. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, too. Christian goes through the river of death, and he goes into heaven, and from heaven sees the place. And then the highest and most beautiful thing is the vision of God itself. 1 John picks up that language in 3 verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Wow. And now to sort of transition a little bit into feelings, I'm going to give three more facts about Sabbath and worship and praise. The Sabbath, not a delight for everybody. I hope it is for you. I trust it is. Isaiah tells us to call the Sabbath a delight. Then you will find your joy in the Lord, 58, 13 through 14, in heaven. If there are days like ours and a Sabbath day, and I trust there will be, it will be a delight. And worshiping God to some people is a chore. To other people it's boring. I hope it isn't to you. But worship in heaven will be neither chore nor boring. Will be pure delight. And then the other thing is praise. Praise is usually understood to be giving God glory, weightiness, light. For who he is, in contrast to thanks, giving God glory for what he does. In heaven, we will praise God. I said this morning, I hope that in a way this sermon helps you most with appreciation. Appreciate incarnation, Advent, Jesus coming into this world. But our appreciation now is small compared to what our appreciation will be then. And the result will be that we will naturally and normally and with delight and fervency praise the Lord. Probably many of you have had times in this life of pure praise. You've delighted in praising God. Then better is all I can say. Now... Let's leave the facts here. We know some things, and we've tried to highlight what we know. But I'd like to go on from facts to feelings yet in this sermon. People have their feelings, and their feelings are important and should not be dealt with lightly or avoided. I'm gonna put this positively, acknowledging the feelings that some people have, with several statements. The first is this. We will have what I will call about the life everlasting, no more, never more, forever more experiences in the life eternal. We will have no more doubts, never more, Forevermore, in life eternal. Some of you may entertain doubts now. Can't get into the subject in details, but doubts are normal. We should doubt some things, and we carry that over into the spiritual. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is unfaith. You may have human doubts that give you weak faith. I do. And if you think of faith on a scale of 1 to 10, I would put mine closer to 3 than 10. And I know other people who are 8 and 9, and I almost wish I could be one of them, but I'm not. But I do believe I have true faith in spite of lots of doubts about things normal, and sometimes even in low times things spiritual. Let's not go into doubts in any more depth, but I speak to some of you who may have doubts about the life everlasting. And I say again to you, well, before I say it again, I'll say this. Remember that boy's father who sought healing. Jesus said to him, everything is possible to the one who believes. And the boy's father exclaimed, "I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief." That may be the condition of some of you this evening, and I say to you that there is a life everlasting, and when you're there, you will have no more doubts, never more, forevermore. We have a beautiful song in the, well, for you green psalter hymnal that I have read through the words with, with parishioners in the past when I was still active. In doubt and temptation, some of you will recognize it, maybe all of you, I rest, Lord, in thee. My hand is in thy hand, thou carest for me. My soul with thy counsel through life thou wilt guide and afterward make me in glory abide. And the refrain is, My God, I will extol thee and ever bless thy name. Each day will I give thanks to thee and all thy praise proclaim. So that first, no more doubts, nevermore, forevermore. Second, no more depression, nevermore, forevermore. Some of you ever struggle with depression? Pilgrim, and Pilgrim's Progress, spiritual journey, always strikes me. I'll summarize, not quote. He began with spiritual sensitivity. And he cried out, life, life, everlasting life, give me life. He met evangelists and was pointed to the wicket, W-I-C-K-E-T, not wicket, but the opening gate to heaven. He went that way. In seeking out salvation, he had his first time of depression, the so-called slough, I think we say nowadays slough, S-L-O-U-G-H, the slough of despond, it's called. Pilgrim becomes Christian, goes through all kinds of life experiences, moving through them all to the end. Christian and his then companion, faithful, come to the river of death. Christian steps in the river of death. And when he steps in, terrible things happen. He calls out, I can never make it. The gates of hell are going to prevail against me. Bunyan says that Christian struggled with falling down. And the river of death was too deep for deep for him. And, and and the current too strong. He didn't think he was gonna make it. Faithful said to him, Christian, you can make it. By God's grace, you can make it. And eventually they came through on the other side. You know someone who struggled with doubt and depression? Christian. And by God's grace, he made it through. And Bunyan says, the angels came and assisted them and led them up into heaven. Now, we're told that when Christian died years later at age 59, or when John Bunyan, I'm sorry, died at age 59, Bunyan, who was expressing his own doubts and depressions and Pilgrim's Progress and that of many others, died in perfect peace there is such a thing as dying grace spurgeon talked about it once he says don't pray for dying grace today (laughs) you need a lot of living grace pray for living grace and the time will come to pray for dying grace and so i comfort those of you who might struggle with doubts and depressions god is greater than the things that you struggle with. Number three. No more spiritual enemies. Never Forever forevermore, especially the big bad three. Martin Luther spoke of the devil, and he spoke of the world, and he spoke of our old nature. And we all struggle with them, at least I hope you are aware that you struggle with them. When you get to heaven, no more of those three bad enemies, forevermore, nevermore. Number four, when we get to heaven, no more sinning, nevermore, forevermore. Have any of you succumbed to sin? We all have. How about big sin, public sin? Any of you have secret sins? Habitual sins. The biggie today, I suppose, is internet pornography and males. When you get to the life everlasting, no more sinning, never more, forever more, and there is grace for you in your sin and for me in my sin, you know, once in a while, people think their sin is too big for God to forgive. Not so. The only unforgivable sin is that perpetual resistance to the Holy Spirit in us. If you need to repent this week of any of those sins that we described only a few minutes ago, when you get to the life everlasting, no more sinning, never more, forevermore. A couple of more things here. We must, if necessary, confess our sins here and now to be saved. And after initial confession unto salvation, normal is that we'll want to confess future sin, not that we'll lose our salvation. It's another big subject we could go into and we won't. Last point. When we get to the life everlasting, we will have, No more lack of assurance of salvation or certainty of salvation. Nevermore. Forevermore. Nowadays, people do lack assurance, and maybe one big reason is that the word assurance has become an emotional word, feeling. We may not feel saved, we may not feel assurance. Because assurance has become a feeling word, I'd rather talk about certainty. That's more objective. Our certainty is founded on God. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion, the book of Philippians says. God is able, in spite of the lack of assurance or certainty we might deal with here below. And the day will come that will say something like the Apostle Paul, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day and not only me but all who have loved his appearing. If I address any of you who deal with bouts of lack of insurance, God is bigger than your lack of insurance. And in God, you may have certainty. Now, having said that about the life everlasting, I'm sure there's more to be said about it, but I don't have much more. I want to just encourage you on in closing this evening with a few things i believe are of utmost importance god's grace god's grace has been working in god's people from the time they were baptized as youth on and i'm in favor of baptizing infants god's grace was there at your profession of faith god's grace is with you day by day in your perseverance god's grace is with you in your trials some of us are under trial. Our trials even are for our profit if we can't see how. Our trials keep us from presumption, calls for renewed dependence on God, and there will be a day when we'll see through our trials and troubles and tribulations that God is still good. Continue in the way, dear Christian friends for some of you continue anyway in the way one of the most wonderful things that happened to me in my lifetime was my father buying a record by a reverend lacier bradley when i was young i listened to it over and over there was a song that was put into the text various verses the last verse Read this way, and I bring these words before you this evening. They've been wonderful in my life. I hope they will be in yours. I heard the song of triumph. He, Christian pilgrim and pilgrim's progress, sang forevermore, singing, Jesus has redeemed us to suffer nevermore. Then looking once more backward. He viewed the race he'd run and shouted loud, Hosanna, deliverance has come. Then palms of victory, crowns of glory, palms of victory I shall wear. When we see Christ, it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we come before you with gratitude for these moments to reflect on. The life everlasting and i pray that what you've told us about that life will give us new joy at some we may miss in this life but know that they have the life everlasting we pray too that you will encourage us on in good times and hard times and that you will help us to see that In the incarnation, the coming of Jesus Christ, the advent, something was accomplished which has wonderful results. Salvation itself. And salvation itself is full and perfect and final. And the final will be the life everlasting. Amen.